this is Gilbert Gottfried. Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, your go-to podcast on all things mining. Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Everyone, this is Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. And today I am joined by Dave Amore. Dave, how are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. Great, great. Um, feels like we're coming out of this pandemic uh, slowly, although there's a lot of cases that are um, out, out and around. But if it, it, it feels like we're coming out, is that what it feels like to you? Yeah, I think I, I, I get a feeling that people are generally just kind of tired of dealing with it. Um, my wife and I had COVID a couple of weeks ago, so it's still out there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I guess because of the vaccinations and the boosters, it was very, very mild and almost didn't notice we had it. Um, so, uh, yeah, ho- hopefully things are, are starting to turn around a little bit. But I imagine uh, this sort of thing is something that's going to linger for a bit. And we just need to kind of uh, ma- make it a part of our lives um, to a certain extent. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, this this one is going around. My son and my dad and my brother both had it, and they were at different stages of their vaccination, so it hit hit them differently. Uh, but yeah, everybody came through it uh, in the end, nice and healthy. Good. Yeah. Well, Dave, tell us a little bit about yourself, your your uh, background, your education. Okay. <laughs> Well, I uh, am from Colorado originally. I, I live in San Antonio now, uh, but uh, went got my undergraduate degree at the University of Colorado at Denver. And while I was uh, working on my civil engineering degree at, at uh, UCD, um, I got a job at Knight Fiesold, and which is where I met you. Uh, so I worked in their geotech lab out by uh, the airport. Uh, for several years and while I was finishing up my uh, degree at night. Uh, once I, I graduated from UCD, um, Night Peace Old kind of sent me around uh, Nevada, Alaska, South America, uh, sat, wound up in South America for a few years um, doing uh, geotech consulting. And uh, that, that particular project sort of morphed into heavy civil construction management. And I decided that, that, that uh, um, managing construction for a, I guess I was probably 23, 24 year old, uh, was a lot more fun than, than pounding proctors in a lab. And so I went, decided to go back to, to graduate school, um, this time in, in the UK at the University of Birmingham, uh, got a master's degree in construction management and went back to Colorado, worked for a general contractor uh, building everything. And it was a very, very good experience. Uh, Only did it for about three years. But uh, for any of you um, young aspiring structural engineers or architects, 
um, highly recommend trying to, uh, you know, getting on with a contractor and actually trying to build something. Um, it will make you a lot better at drawing pictures of it. And so I uh, did that for a few years and um, there was kind of a bump in the road with respect to the economy and construction is, is a little bit volatile uh, with respect to that. Uh, and at about that time, I had also earned my PE uh, designation. And so we got a job at, uh, doing a little bit more of my background, which was material testing uh, with a, a company that, that moved me to uh, Corpus Christi, uh, Texas, and did that for a few years. And uh, the person I was working for at, um, at that company uh, came over to EFI Global, uh, which is where I am now. And when, when his non-compete was up a year later, he, he brought me uh, with him. And so I've been at EFI Global for, I guess, about going on 17 years, uh, something like that. Um, what, while I was at EFI, um, I earned a, a registered roof consultant designation, uh, which we can uh, talk about more if you want. And I've uh, got another master's degree in civil engineering with an emphasis on building structures. And I am and now uh, hopefully finishing up a, a PhD program at the University of Texas in San Antonio, uh, which is uh, civil engineering. Uh, with an emphasis in, in building uh, uh, building structures as well. So I uh, live in San Antonio with my uh, wife and three daughters. And uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's about it for me. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty cool story. So Dave, I'm also in a PhD program. And one of my friends asked me, Brian, at this point in your career, <laughs> what is what good does it do to have a PhD? And so I'll yeah. ask that to you. What? Why are you pursuing a PhD at this point in your career? Well, that's a. I I, I chuckle. I, I saw that question being formulated, and I started to laugh because, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I get that question a lot. And um, you know, most most of my colleagues here at UTSA who are working on their PhD are somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty three to twenty seven, something like that. Um, and they're on a completely different career track. Uh, what, what I told my advisor is, look, I've, I've got a day job. Um, I'm, I'm probably not going to make any more money than I'm making now. I'm, I'm vice president of engineering at EFI Global. I'm probably not going to get a promotion. Um, but I'm, I'm doing this for, for two reasons. Uh, one is because I firmly believe that if you're going to be an engineer, you have to on a daily basis, continue to sharpen that sword uh, because the technology is just changing so much. And it, it's such a broad topic, especially civil engineering, that if you're not staying on top of it, you're going to get run over. Um, it, the, the other reason um, that, that I'm working on my PhD is that hopefully my career, I, I, I really enjoy very much what I'm doing at EFI and I, I hope to continue to do that. I, I would like to maybe morph that into uh, teaching part-time. And, and so um, I've, I've always wanted to teach at a university level. And if I could uh, pick up a class as an adjunct professor and, and continue to, to uh, do my day job, I think that would make me very happy. And, and uh, uh, also, you know, uh, you know we, we've been talking about some, how long you and I have known each other and, and that sort of thing. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to, to do what I'm doing for, ever and and so looking uh looking for some and maybe some opportunities to be able to do something a little bit different so ho hopefully that's kind of a convoluted answer but uh uh that uh, that's kind of where i'm at with it yeah good for you that was similar to what i said to my friend you're you're much more articulate but 
in a nutshell, I told them it's it's just for the purpose of continuous learning. You know, we can go to all the conferences that we can and read all the trade journals that we can, but it really does help to sit in the classroom. All of mine are online, so it's it's a little simpler for me. But um, yeah, just just having that uh, continuous education thing going on. It sounds like you've had lots of education. Well, uh, yeah, I've, I've I've taken probably every postgraduate class you can, you can take but um you know if you think about some of the classes i've taken brian kind of case in point um you, you look at uh you know repair of uh you know using carbon composites for repair um i took a class on uh, machine learning in order to determine uh structural health of a of a structure um you know i've uh you know you know i've taken i've taken um a, a data science class I've uh, taken a class on on wind engineering. Um, these these five four or five topics that I just mentioned didn't even exist in uh, 1998 when I got my <laughs> when I when I got my uh, undergraduate degree. Um, yeah. Some of the algorithms yeah. I, I I think some of the algorithms did exist, but um, uh, not to the extent uh, uh, that uh, that they're being used now. So so you really need to to stay on top of this stuff, and and uh, I've I've always have that. Um, discussion with other engineers uh, that it's, it's just too big of a topic not to continuously be trying to learn something. Yeah, isn't, isn't it true that uh, new topics just come out of nowhere, like you were saying, the machine learning and AI and the Internet of Things and, and things like that? So what is what is your dissertation topic? Um, we are working with a manufacturer of power-actuated fasteners. And so... Um, in ASCE 7, um, if you're going to use a power actuated fastener in design in a seismic design category D or, or above, uh, then they limit you to 90 pounds. And they don't tell you if it's 90 pounds in tension, 90 pounds in shear, 90 pounds in torque. They just say 90 pounds. And uh, we, some, some previous research done at some other universities suggests that, that they, they actually have a much greater capacity. Um, and the the other side of that also is that there doesn't really seem to be a uh, acceptance criteria for getting power actuated fastener, fasteners approved for uh, these seismic design categories. Um, so like for an anchor bolt, for example, there's a process that you can go through to get an anchor bolt accepted. Uh, there there yeah. doesn't seem to be an, yeah. a, a process for that for a power actuated fastener. So we're doing kind of some groundwork type of, of testing uh, out of plane uh, cyclic shear testing and power actuated fasteners that are attaching cold form steel to a concrete slab. Okay. Okay. So tell us what EFI Global does and what you do for the company. Okay. EFI Global is a, uh, uh, we, we have three main service lines. So we do forensic engineering, we do fire investigation and environmental consulting. Uh, the, the first two, the engineering and the fire investigation are, are largely in the insurance industry. Um, so if for an engineer, for example, let's say somebody uh, drives a car into your house and the insurance company is going to come out and take a look at what needs to be fixed. Um, if, if there's any structural damage to the house, which there, or if, um, it, which there very well could be uh, with a car, um, then the insurance company needs to hire an engineer to come out there and delineate, uh, you know, 
what damage is associated with this particular event and kind of kind of lay out what needs to be fixed in terms of that just just for the purposes of getting that um, that claim adjusted the fire investigators are also sort of in that realm of insurance uh, but it's more of a origin and cause uh, type of thing where it's hey you know what what started this fire was it intentional was it an accident was it a space heater um, which is easier said than done because you know uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a fire scene but but more often than not there's not a whole lot left to look at. So uh, uh, mad respect for those guys uh, that, that go out there literally sifting through ashes, looking for yeah, uh, evidence yeah, of what may have yeah. started. Yeah, I would think it would be really difficult in a structure fire for a wildland fire. At least you kind of know the the origin point from yeah. the, the initial reports. So you kind of know where to start looking, but in like a house fire, you, it could be in any room in the entire building. Yeah, it can it can be it can be pretty tough to find. And then um, our our environmental consultants uh, are really more on the due diligence side of things. So if uh, there's uh, a purchase of a commercial building, typically there's a, a property condition assessment associated with that, which is kind of like a home inspection, except for a, a commercial building, kind of tells you what you're getting into uh, and gives you an idea what it's going to cost to own that building from a maintenance standpoint. And then uh, there's the, the phase one environmental site assessment that's, that's typically associated with the, the uh, purchase of a, of a commercial property as well. Um, so those, those are our three main service lines. Um, I am, uh, I'm VP of engineering. And so I, uh, run a, a service line that, uh, has about 200, roughly 250 engineers, about 70% of that are civil structural engineers. And then we also have mechanical and electrical, um, as well. Do you work across the three different, uh, business lines at EFI? Yeah, there, there's a little bit of crossover. Um, you know, a, a fire investigation can turn into a post-fire structural assessment. Um, you know, the the environmental a property condition assessment of a say an office building that has a parking garage, and and the initial inspector may find a couple cracks in a column of the uh, the parking structure, so that turns into a structural assessment. And uh, so there's there's a little bit of crossover. Um, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of what we do. You know, because we're in the insurance industry, uh, you know, about 70 percent of insurance claims are actually associated with water infiltration, whether it's a, a broken pipe or a roof leak or something along those lines. And so, uh, you know, we may as an engineer be asked to go out there and take a look at a roof or, or take a look at, at what's going on with respect to water getting inside the building. And then we can also pull in some environmental people to look at, at uh, uh, apparent fungal growth or indoor air quality issues and, and things like that as well. And is most of your work, you know, let's just say the forensic, is it mostly uh, residential and business or do you sometimes get in, called in for airplane crashes or, you know, terrorist strikes or anything else out of the usual yeah i would i would say most of what we do is going to be privately owned um you know structures and and that sort of thing um i have tapped into my mining background uh, a little bit and and have done some uh there was there's a hydro um hydroelectric plant in peru that that had some issues with one of its vertical shafts so I got to to put on my uh, my geotech and my my uh, geological engineering hat a little bit and uh, help them with that. Uh, but but 
probably at least 90% of what we do is going to be a building. Um, air, airplane crashes are typically uh, investigated by the FAA and the NTSB um, as are, you know, train wrecks and, and things like that. Um, we yeah. ha- Having said that, we, we had, you know, there was a, a, a bridge that collapsed in Florida because a barge uh, collided with it. And so we, you know, we, we did, we, we did do an investigation on that. So there's, there's some opportunities to, to, you know, kind of get outside of that a little bit. Yeah. 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 Is there any particular experience that you can relate to us that was particularly memorable? Uh, I've had, yeah, there's, you know, you know, we, we, we tell people when we hire them at EFI that there's going to be a lot of bread and butter stuff. Uh, you know, there's there's a certain amount of um, this job that's a, a little bit of, dare I say, mundane, you know, and that's OK. You know, you need to keep the lights on. You need to, to keep the doors open. You need to pay the rent. And that's all right. Uh, but we're in a we're in a business where we do get to do some some pretty interesting stuff. Um, one thing that probably stands out to me um off the top of my head and it's not necessarily exciting but it, it was memorable uh was the uh, hard rock cafe collapse in in new orleans uh we were uh, uh associated with you know a, a particular subcontractor um on that uh loss and and so we did get to investigate that uh that particular collapse and that was uh that was fascinating yeah, is there any uh, details you could tell us about that, or is it subject to a lawsuit, or is there anything you can? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the lawsuits are pretty much wrapped up. There may be a couple lingering ones, um, but uh, the the main lawsuit, I believe, was sealed. So um, I probably shouldn't uh, say a whole lot about what we okay. what we. Yeah, down. yeah, yeah. No, no problem at all. I apologize. Yeah, no. It's it's always the investigations into failures that make us better engineers that that's the only reason i ask not to dig into something that shouldn't be told yeah well you know and that's 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 what i tell people also is that you know it's you know quite frankly what we do as forensic engineers is probably easier than being a designer um you know it's it's always easy to be a monday morning quarterback and going after the fact and say you know here's what you know x y and z happened um and uh but but you're absolutely right. It it I I do very much appreciate and I have over the last 17 years very much appreciated the opportunity to learn from other people's mistakes. Um, and that sounds a little callous, but it, but it's better than learning from your own mistakes or heaven forbid you make a mistake where somebody gets hurt. Uh, like like uh, you know some of the collapses we look at are you know fatalities. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're talking about the. Uh... A bridge and we're just uh talking about making ourselves smarter and one of the really famous bridges is the tacoma narrows bridge that people called galloping gertie yeah <laughs> and, and and like you say it's really easy to come in afterwards and say what the problem was and once you know what the problem was it just seems really obvious but it was lacking uh sufficient stiffness and once once you think about that it's like well, yeah that's obvious but it wasn't obvious to the team of designers that uh, designed it in the first place, apparently. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. If you've gone to some fairly notable universities for your education, do you think the universities have had anything to do 
with uh, the success in your career or is, is that something more personal? I've, I've never really thought that the universities are responsible for much of your success other than maybe your first five years on the job or your first job or something like that. Yeah, I, um, you know, that, that, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struggling. There's, there's a couple of ways I can answer that. One, one is as a hiring engineer, I look at a lot of resumes and, and, uh, I usually am not too terribly interested in where you went to school. I'm, I'm more interested in, uh, do you have obviously a four-year degree? Are you a licensed engineer? Those are the first two things I want to verify. Um, a, a graduate degree is, is going to float your resume to the top because I, as you and I were talking about, I just think there's too much to know. Um, and I, I'm not sure, and I, and I hope I don't offend all your listeners, but I, I'm not sure a four-year degree without some pretty significant continuing education is, is really going to cover it and do it justice. So um, I, I, I am impressed if you have a, a, a graduate degree. Um, what, what I tell my daughter, I have two daughters that are undergrads and uh, what I've told them is that if, if you really want to spend your money, um, spend it on grad school. So, so, you know, if it, you need to, you need to get a four-year degree, as long as it's an accredited degree, I, I'm not sure it really matters, but if, if you really want your resume to pop and you really want to put Cornell or, or whatever, or, or Berkeley or, you know, whatever it may be, if you want something to pop, make sure that that's your grad school, <laughs> because that's, yeah. that's, yeah. that's, the yeah. bottom of the, the bottom of the resume there um but yeah. i i i kind of i tend to agree with you brian i think it's it's what you put into it um i, I think you know here i am at, i'm at the university of texas in san antonio um i got my my graduate degree at the Uni at missouri s and t and and these are all you know and then uh, university of birmingham and then university of colorado denver they, they were all great schools they got great professors uh and and uh they they have uh the resources necessary um but you can make that experience whatever you need to make it um you can you can kind of coast through and barely pass and get a degree which is quite frankly kind of what i did on my four-year degree um or you can roll up your sleeves take one class at a time and just really dig into that topic because your your motivation is different that you know when you're when you're 19 years old your motivation is different than you are when you're 51 and and uh, uh i think the the 51 year old that's taking one class at a time is probably going to get more out of that program uh regardless of what what the uh, the name of the school is yeah that's that's really interesting so i had the same experience in my four-year program that i just <laughs> just barely got out of school and it was so 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 much so that the grad program almost didn't take me yeah uh, but they, they took me based on my experience and the way i chose my grad school was first what classes did they offer and how was that going to marry up with the direction of my career second was what professors were teaching them and then third was what university is it so i I think it doesn't matter all that much as long as you're advancing what you think you want to in your career. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and there, there's going to be crossroads in your career as well. And uh, I, I think I remember one probably about 10 or 12 years ago where I was, I was a branch manager, but I was also kind of the resident engineer at, at that particular office. And uh, there, there's a point where, 
where you're going to need to decide, you know, am I really going to be 100% in engineering and, and do I want to take a technical path um, or do I want to take more of a managerial path and, and do that? And, and I think both are fine. And, and I'm certainly not suggesting one is better than the other. But for me, um, you know, you, you kind of listen to your heart and you're like, I'm, I'm really kind of the, the, the technical guy. And this is this is where my passion is. And this is what um, it's all about. And, and regardless of what you end up doing with your career, um, if you're if you're not passionate about it, you're, you're just going through the motions. And um, I, I don't think you're going to, to really be fulfilling your full potential. Yeah, I agree fully with that. Yeah, if, if you're not having fun and waking up every day thinking, I got to go to work to help my friends, then you, you might want to rethink where you're working because you got to wake up with some passion and desire to get to work. Absolutely. If we've covered a lot of information, uh, I have one kind of random information uh, question for you and then one to close out and if you were giving a new-ish engineer, maybe zero to five years experience, some advice on what they can do to make their career um, direction better, what would you tell them? Um, I would say, you know, that I'm going to get up on my soapbox here. There, you know, if you're a civil structural engineer, you absolutely need to take the FE exam and and get on a PE track. Um, if you're a mechanical electrical engineer, I would also recommend that as well. Um, my, my daughter's an, an electrical computer engineering uh, major, and uh, there seems to be kind of this uh, misnomer out there that, that mechanical and electrical engineers don't need to get on a PE track. And that that's probably true if, if you're going into certain aspects of it. But if you're just starting your career, and you've got zero to five years of experience, you don't know where your career is going. And the, the one thing that is going to really set you apart um, is, is either being an EIT or a PE or being close to being a PE. And, and that's, that's the kind of thing that a lot of companies probably wouldn't even consider your, uh, your uh, CV if, if uh, you weren't doing that. Um, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here uh, with you, Brian, but uh, uh, it, it seems like some of these younger engineers are, are getting some bad information about that. And, and uh, I, that would be my advice. Of course, you know, that's, I'm a civil structural engineer, so it's, it's kind of obvious for us to do that, but uh, it might not be as obvious for, for other uh, specialties. And then, and then, you know, the other thing too, is, is like we were talking about is, is uh, you know, hold, hold out a little bit. You don't necessarily have to take that first job. And, uh, you know, if there's something, if you can find something that you're passionate about, that you're excited about, that, that gets you out of bed in the morning, um, you know, don't maybe lose a lot of sleep about the money. The money's going to, the money's going to be there eventually. Um, find something, get some experience, get some, get something on your resume and, uh, and, and do something you enjoy doing and, and, uh, life's too short not to. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. Um, just based on some of the comments you made a little bit earlier, when I was, I think in the first year of my undergraduate degree, we had a class where we had an outside speaker come in from industry, and he said something really memorable to me. He said, when I was graduating, I never wanted to work in an underground mine, and I never wanted to work in a coal mine. His first job was in an underground mine. His second job was in a coal mine. And <laughs> so he was saying, you know, don't don't try to limit your your uh, 
potential by saying th these are the areas you're not going to work in because you might have the time of your life you might find out a, a lot of things that you uh, wouldn't have otherwise learned so I, thought Absolutely. That was, I thought that was really good good advice well david it's been a nice conversation and i uh, just wanted to close out by asking you this question. Do you have any key takeaways or pearls of wisdom you could lay on us? Yeah. Well, I, I think the uh, I, I think the theme of this particular uh, conversation has been been continuing education and, um, and obviously uh, uh, something that I'm pretty passionate about and and as are you. Uh, but uh, you know, at the at the, sound, at the risk of sounding a little bit repetitive, you know, it's just uh, in, engineering is is by definition, uh, you know, uh, 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 something that is constantly changing. We're, we're supposed to be cutting edge. Uh, we're, we're supposed to be on top of things. And um, a four-year degree is a great start. And, and congratulations for, for doing that. Uh, but but you, you really need to seek on a regular basis uh, opportunities to keep learning. Um, one way to do that is, is some graduate work and, and that counts towards your continuing education for your PE. But even if it's uh, professional continuing education stuff, uh, you, you really need to uh, have a little bit of discipline and, and make sure you're doing it. And most of us, I think, find those things to be enjoyable anyway. So it's not, not necessarily a, a negative thing at all, but, uh, you know, keep sharpening that sword. And, uh, you know, I, I want to be a better engineer tomorrow than I was today. And, uh, I want to, you know, I want my work product to be better tomorrow than it was today. And, and if you're not constantly striving for that, then uh, you're going to get run over by somebody else. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, there almost every major university has online courses, and one of the nice things about it is they also record them. So if uh, people like in our field, we go out and we we leave the city, the country, whatever, we uh, can still catch up on those online. So it makes it really convenient compared to the pre-online days where if you missed it, you missed it. And you have to maybe look at notes from your fellow students. But yeah, so far, I've taken two classes and I've only missed one a classroom session and it was really good to have that online so yeah they're yeah. making it easier and easier for us even if we're remote we're traveling we're not available it it makes it a lot easier like i say almost every major university is doing that now yeah absolutely and um you know my whole master's degree at missouri st was was online and uh you know, pre-COVID, there might have been a little bit of a, a, a stigma with that, that, that it's uh, uh, you're not in person and you're not asking questions. Uh, but but I think in this post-COVID world, it's absolutely completely normal. Uh, and, and every university has the infrastructure to do uh, synchronous and asynchronous classes. And for, for guys like you and I, Brian, that, that might be in a in an airport in, in uh, London or something, if you can sit down for 30 minutes and chip away at a class, uh, you know, why not? You know, let's multitask. And uh, that, that, that makes it a little bit more doable. Uh, you know, the, the days of, of just not going to work and getting up and going to school, is, you know, the, you, know you, and I, you and I have bills to pay and it's just not, not a reality. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the, the professors do tend to give a grade partially based on class participation, which you can't do if you just look at them afterwards. But it's it still makes it a lot easier than back in the pre-COVID days, like you say. 
Absolutely. Well, Dave, it's been uh, great catching up with you, and I think we figured it's been uh, two dozen years since we worked together, so it was good to find out about you and what you've been up to and, and all that stuff. Well, it's been absolutely my pleasure, Brian, and uh, ho hopefully we don't have to wait another 24, 25 years to, uh, to catch up again. For sure, Dave. All right, well... Uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you go because I know you're busy, but I appreciate your time and, and thanks for sharing some uh, insights with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks, Dave. Bye. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rocking. <laughs>